Plants sweat, they get too hot, just like people do. And so if you are in a shaded environment, a little bit cooler, you can do better. You can actually thrive. That's your ideal growing environment. If a plant gets too hot, a vegetable or fruit plant, it actually can't produce fruit. It stops growing. The best kept secret in energy and agriculture is actually solar as a water play. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangent, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm really excited to have Dan French on the podcast. He's the CEO or the executive producer. It's probably a better term than CEO, the Virginia Solar Summit. And he's also been on the podcast before. If you haven't listened to it in the past, we'll actually have it on the notes of the podcast. And it's a podcast interview. He talks about how brownfields are great sites for solar. He's done a lot of work in the brownfield space. He's now focused on agrovoltaics, which I think is going to be a huge opportunity going forward for all of us in the solar industry and using land for more than just solar for dual use, which is another term you'll hear for agrovoltaics. Dan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you back. Thanks, Bernard. Good to see you and hear you again. And I appreciate the invitation to come back. Anytime. Uh, for our listeners who are not familiar, can you define agrovoltaics? Yeah, agrovoltaics is a fancy word for something that's very simple. It's about harnessing the shade of solar PV panels. So as most folks know, if you're growing houseplants, some plants prefer full light, some plants prefer shade, semi-shade. And that's because plants sweat, they get too hot, just like people do. And so if you are in a shaded environment, a little bit cooler, you can do better. You can actually thrive. That's your ideal growing environment. And so I didn't realize this as I've gotten excited about agrivoltaics, this problem of plants sweating. If a plant gets too hot, a vegetable or a fruit plant, it actually can't produce fruit. It stops growing. So it's kind of either production or cooling. And therefore, under an agrivoltaic microclimates, many plants actually see increased growth, better yields. There's more water in the soil. So for all kinds of reasons, the same reasons that humans like the shade, they enjoy cooler conditions outside better than being superheated. So do plants. And so it just makes all kinds of sense in the world. We're putting up these solar panels anyway. Uh, we have to do something underneath. We could do gravel, but we can also do wildflowers. So for me, I kind of think about agrivoltaics in three buckets, crops, critters, or conservation. And conservation is probably the biggest bucket in the United States right now. But the right of ways movement, Lady Bird Johnson, we've been planting wildflowers. There's actually a lot of professionals who've been working on this. There's a lot of people passionate about bees and butterflies. And it turns out that it pairs perfectly well with solar. Instead of gravel, plant the right beneficial vegetation underneath. It not only stabilizes the soil, captures stormwater, improves soil health, sequesters carbon, but it creates incredible habitat for bees, butterflies, bugs, bunnies, <laughs> Bambi. <laughs> Uh, all of kind of the species that are in trouble. And so I'm really excited about it as a land use guy, as you know, an old brownfield guy, greenfield guy, now brownfields to brightfields. But we've come around, I think, to seeing now solar as maybe one of the biggest tools we have for conservation and preservation in humanity's tool belt. And it's very exciting because solar is shade that pays. So we may need to pull a shade over the whole planet with climate change coming on. We're going to go build all this solar. And if we're just more thoughtful about it, we think about 
beginning with the end in mind, creating these biodiverse habitats, upgrading the land as we go, then solar can actually help pay the way for a better built environment and start pushing back against climate change in some of the places that we're really feeling it the most. Yeah, that's a great definition of agrovoltaics. You know, I appreciate you going into that detail and the whole thing about plant sweat also is a great point that I don't think a lot of people know about and how shading and basically panels help that happen and how you could basically use the same land, essentially two different benefits. You know, the landowner is getting the lease payment from the solar, but then they're also getting vegetation, crops that are growing, and then also could sell that, obviously, and make some sort of profit. So that's huge, especially when you talk about how difficult it has been for farmers, I think, the past 40 or 50 years in the U.S., and using solar for less arid land. But then also, here's an opportunity where you could do both. You mentioned dual use, and you mentioned arid land. I'll just jump in with my favorite study I like to mention. Out of Biosphere 2, Arizona University, uh, Greg Baron Gafford, Professor Greg Baron Gafford, kind of one of the founding persons in this movement. Under the PV panels out there in Arizona, they tripled pepper production. That's amazing. But only used half as much water. And they doubled tomato production under the panels, but only used 70% as much water. And so when we're thinking about climate change, we're thinking about desertification, perhaps the most immediate and acute problem from climate change. And now we can create microclimates exactly where we need it to not only preserve agriculture, but improve agriculture. And I think The best kept secret in energy and agriculture is actually solar as a water play. Water wars, maybe we can solve for energy. We talked about this actually before. Have we? Yeah. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Offline. Yeah. (laughs) I always enjoy our offline chats, my friend. That's a key point. Just going back to that point. Like I didn't realize that you could save that much water. And as you know, and we've talked about this before, there's going to be wars for water. And that's kind of our last commodity out there. So. That is a really huge opportunity that I haven't heard really in the agrobotex discussion. So that's great that you brought this to the surface. Not just me, the work of many. We had a lot of them at the Solar Farm Summit. We had a specific water session. Actually, it was back-to-back sessions. Oh, that's right. Bright fields to blue fields. I think we might have tagged We we love our funny names and our syllabi at our various summits. But no, I think going forward, if we could zoom to the future and look back, I think the water piece, and we started out talking about biodiversity and conservation. I think those are going to be huge weapons in our arsenal against climate change, very underestimated and misunderstood right now, but will probably be worth more than the panels themselves as we see it today. And I haven't even mentioned Crops and critters, by the way, actually, (laughs) well, we mentioned crops a little bit, but they're increasing corn yields in Africa under solar panels already. And many of our land grant universities are looking at corn and beans and all the kind of regular things we're thinking about of agriculture at scale in America, University of Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota, Rutgers, Oregon State, and I mentioned Arizona. So the real work is starting to be done, but it seems to pencil today for a lot of the reasons that you're kind of picking up already, Benoit, like it works, shade, it's so simple. Pull the shade. <laughs> yeah, pull the right, shade. Right where we need it. Definitely. And it was actually a great lead-in. Like you talked about the Solar Farm Summit. Thank you for the opportunity of me attending, but also leading one of the sessions, the poster session, which was pretty interesting. Back in March in Chicago, can you talk about the first annual Solar Farm Summit that you had? And maybe too, like, I guess if the audience doesn't know, like what you focus on, as like the executive 
producer of Solar Farm Summit and Virginia Solar Summit. Yeah, thinking about how to you know nudge the market, create market infrastructure, both in kind of a real sense and economics, creating projects. We let landowners come for free a lot of times, you know, connect to many developers at once, but also the marketplace of ideas, you know, getting the best practices out there, the success stories, the failures. You know, Benoit, and many shows now, you know, very substantive, very heavy. I'll be at the EPA Brownfield show next week in Detroit. Very much like that show, very nuts and bolts, almost tutorial. A lot of practitioners talking about, you know, the most important things, the ABCs, the XYZs, some of the troubleshooting. And so we done a lot of brownfields, bright fields, similar kind of recipe with brownfields. It was making markets where there weren't any, but with agrivoltaics, again, a new kind of space, but a lot of professionals already hard at work doing a lot of the things, but not focused on this kind of new adaptation of their practices. And so we thought we needed some place to get everyone in, of the same frame of mind. And that's really what the Solar Farm Summit is about, you know, a dedicated agrivoltaics development conference, a catalytic forum for interdisciplinary collaboration and professional cross-pollination. There's so much going on in the solar industry, it could be hard to keep up. Never mind, get ahead. New technologies, new ways to sell, policy changes, the Inflation Reduction Act, high inflation, high interest rates. We only have 30 seconds, so I'll stop there. But whether you want to up your sales game, streamline your operations, or to be a more effective solar leader, Empower is the one-day virtual event to help you improve your solar business. Join industry leaders, policy experts, and solar professionals on August 16th to investigate issues that matter to your solar business. Register for free at aurorasolar.com slash empower2023. We'll also have this on the notes of the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, and that was the first one ever, and it was sold out. It was amazing. <laughs> the turnout, I think there was like 650. 550, thank you, yes. 550, sorry, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> Which was enough. Well, we did have people sneak in. You know, our That's security true. was a little light. And so I don't actually know what the number was. We had celebrity guest appearances from one of my favorite boyhood teams, the Chicago Bulls. Dennis Rodman was there. I know you were hanging out with Dennis a little bit, Benoit. He had a lot of opinions about solar. We had a lot of the biggest brains, again, a kind of across, you know, agriculture, energy, solar, water, brownfields. We snuck a little brownfields broccoli into the session because there's been so much movement in Washington. Brownfields is kind of mainstream now. They're, even DOE has cleanup money for brownfields now. And it's not just an EPA game. It was in the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Now in the IRA, there's brownfields, specific brownfields, tax credits that stack. So everybody's kind of a brownfield developer now. And it's all part of the ABCs of this land use renaissance. Yeah, definitely. And actually, we did one of the first podcasts on agrovotics. It was episode 106 back in August 17th, 2021, with two attendees at your conference. They oh, did Ian. The first Ian, and Ian Drew. Ward from Solag and Drew Pearson from Blue Wave, or he was at Blue Wave at the time. They did some of the first agrovotics projects, sorry, in Massachusetts. It's actually our most downloaded podcast. And when I released that, I was surprised how many developers ended up calling me because it was new to them. And then just to fast forward, March of 2023, you know, you come up with the first conference for it. And it was just amazing to me to see how many people were really thinking about this and the opportunity and the creative, as you said, 
you had all the great minds there. And I was just blown away with the creativity and the ideas and things that our people were doing. So I appreciate you curating. Thanks. Yeah, I didn't really answer your question. That's kind of what I'm doing as executive producer, <laughs> curating <laughs> the program. Uh, we have a great production team. Katie Meyer was our producer of the Solar Farm Summit. Shout and- out to Katie. Your team did an amazing job. I got to know Katie at the conference and, you know, it was really well run and considering it was the first one. And I don't think you had the expectations of it having that many people and being able to manage no, that. Not at all. And I broke my arm a month before the week of oh, Valentine's that's right. Day. Okay, yeah, okay. my team. Yeah, we didn't tell anybody. But we definitely, it was a tough landing on that plane. But yeah, everything was pretty well. Forgot a mic. Like there was a lot of things that went wrong. But the overwhelming, it was time. It was overdue. The market was there. And we were so enthralled by the real genuine reaction of people across the country. You know, we had solar grazers coming from Virginia and Texas, guys from California, folks down from Canada. We had some international folks attend because it is already happening. Again, best kept secret in energy and agriculture. We're grazing thousands and thousands of acres already. Some of the big solar developers, former oil companies like Shell Oil has bought Savion, Silicon Ranch. They're buying land, not just leasing land like a lot of solar developers have done over the last 20 and 30 years. They're buying land. They're going long. They're raising their own flocks. They're cheaper than lawnmowers. We could talk about all the benefits and reasons why of agrivoltaics, why it's not greenwashing, why it is working today. And capitalists have figured it out. (laughs) There's not enough sheep already. For sure. And yeah, it's happening. As you talked about at Nico's podcast, money flows where there's opportunity. That's why having companies like Shell and some of these big companies go into this type of opportunity. And by the way, Drew Pearson actually recently started at Savion. You know, it's a small world and it's exciting what's happening. I saw Drew at a public meeting about their big agrivoltaics research campus they're going for right by Molly Karen, the historic agricultural innovation yeah. center at the Ohio State University, although I graduated the. from University of oh, Illinois. You did? No, <laughs> Illinois. I'm an Illinois guy. You know, big tens. A guy from my hometown, Thad Mata, one of my dad's buddies, he was the head coach at OSU for a long time. Yeah. But they're going, you know, multi-thousand acres, proper crops under the panels and mixing it up. They have a plan to kind of not just build one solar farm a certain way, but they're going to do a little bit of crops over here this way, raise panels up a little bit different over that way and try to tinker. And so it's really encouraging to see the team at Savvy on kind of the private market leaning into the opportunity. They already have a professor they've been talking to at the OSU. You know, we've done this before. We've had a green revolution in agriculture, it was called. And this looks like green revolution 2.0, bringing a lot of things together, a lot of different industries in this new, again, very simple. It's shade. Shade is a solar power, as a superpower, the solar superpower. But it works and everybody understands. And so we have private and public sector already kind of holding hands, including, you know, very exciting bipartisan legislation. Like Brownfields, now we've got the Agrivoltaics Research and Demonstration Act of 2023. A Democrat Senator Heinrich from New Mexico, Republican Senator Braun from Indiana have co-sponsored this bill. And like Brownfields, once you understand very simply, and hopefully folks listening already kind of understand the basics of it, you get the value. This is rural jobs. This is rural development. This is food. This is preservation. It's clean energy. And it's also good for bugs and bunnies, like Mother Earth, everything. Like it's almost the stack of sustainability that agrivoltaics pulls together in all of its different forms, because it's not just one thing. Could be corn, could be tomatoes, could be sheep, but it all kind of stacks together. And it's kind of exactly what we need 
when we need it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're talking to the choir, I feel like, at least when talking with me, but definitely <laughs> our listeners, you know, might not be aware of it, who we call Mavericks. So I appreciate you really explaining it. I know like the conference was last year in March of this year. You're planning to do the second conference. Can you talk a little bit about when you're expecting to do it? What might be different from the one that you did, the first one, or the lessons learned? Yeah, thanks. We appreciate the question, the opportunity. We're going to push into the summer, get Chicago kind of at its best fit in after planting and lambing season and before harvest, and push outside. Uh, we're going to try to do, we almost did a petting zoo last year. The Hilton wasn't too sure about that, Hilton's insurance people. But some other kind of outdoor elements. Because we are an ag show. We are North America's Agribaltics Expo, and we want to allow people to get their hands on some stuff, get 4-H involved. It is, you know, the children's planet, and they're going to inherit all this. They will be the solar grazers of the future. But we will be back in Rosemont, Illinois, which is in Chicagoland, right next to, it's nestled right next to O'Hare Airport. So it's a free shuttle distance away from O'Hare, but also a little bit easier to drive to and park than downtown Chicago. Yeah, Solar Farm Summit 2024. Back in Illinois again, probably in July, late July. We haven't picked the date quite yet. There's the Olympics next year. Uh, we also have to worry about oh, all the state farms, the state shows, Illinois State Fair, Indiana State Fair, and so on. But yeah, we'll be back. And then we'll be here real soon. We'll be down in Virginia and Richmond for the Virginia Solar Summit Summer Shindig. You can say that three times fast. Uh, just Virginia trim. Summer Shindig. <laughs> oh, good job. Well done, sir. Unrehearsed. <laughs> For just a trim program, we'll be talking about bright fields. There is a solar grazing session. Not only do we go big on substance at our shows, but also the networking. So there'll be just as much networking, two-hour open bar there at a venue appropriately called the Renaissance. <laughs> and after party too, we'll be posting up on a rooftop even after the official program ends at the Renaissance. And so Thursday, August 31st, kind of kickstart your Labor Day weekend. Some folks already have plans, but you can still make your, if you're leaving on Friday, you can leave maybe a little hungover. But yeah, we'll be looking forward to a good time in Richmond with a lot of folks kind of in the region, Virginia, West Virginia, even some North Carolina folks for the shindig. Yeah, it's a great event. I've spoken actually at the event twice in person and I think once online during COVID. You're partnering with the Virginia DEQ for that event. It'll be in the notes of the podcast as well. I'm going to try to make it if I'm around. You know, Dan and I were talking about this. Are you doing the speed dating between landowners and developers this time or not are there the two separate tracks? Not at the shindig. It'll just be an afternoon program, but jobs is the theme. Workforce yeah, is the about yeah. that? Like that, I guess, sponsorship and job seekers could come for free a certain amount. Yeah, job seekers can send us their resume for a free pass. The focus of the expo is for employers to kind of get a table and meet folks. And so, you know, workforce has been one of the key bottlenecks that we've been tracking in America, in the United States in particular, over the last 10 plus years. It's only gotten worse. And of course, solar is hiring, everyone's hiring. So we will have the agencies there. As co-hosts, Virginia DEQ, Virginia Energy, Dominion Energy will be there, the biggest utility in Virginia, and a lot of the companies, many of whom are hiring. You can also go to virginiasolarsummit.com, check out our new jobs board. It's actually just a jobs aggregator. So what you'll find, it's one page where you can go to other pages, basically. Go oh, see that's cool. at Virginia Energy, who's hiring. Go see some of the big developers. Dominion Energy's page is there, and it's just a place for people to start. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. And you know what I also appreciated too with, I know I'm switching between your two different events, 
but for the solar farm summit, you created the agrovoltaics. I don't know if you called it Bible, but like, it's just amazing of the collection of information that from the summit. And I think as well, you've aggregated links to anything agrovoltaics, right? Or like the best links of what you've seen out there, right? As well. Yeah, we've something we've done in the past called the Knowledge Binder, or kind of the show archive. We put all the presentations together with a lot of bonus materials that we get oh, from like right. the agencies and then our, some of our sponsors and then just nominations from some of our speakers. It's often many thousands of pages. We had a Virginia archive one time, I think it was in 20 volumes and many, many thousands of pages. <laughs> this time for the Solar Farm Summit, we called it the Agrivoltaics Almanac. I think it was 3,000 or so pages, everybody's presentations and a lot of bonus materials. I think you're also, you might be thinking of something we did new this time at solarfarmsummit.com. You can find the Agrivoltaics Index, which is a page that just scrolls down forever. It is like a curated Google search where we went through, found a lot of stuff. It goes backwards in time. And it link, there's a lot of key resources at the top, like the AgriSolar Clearinghouse, which is a great website, the American Solar Grazing Association, another great nonprofit organization, Jack's Solar Garden, one of the largest demo agrivoltaics projects in America, anywhere. And then down below, it's just links to great articles, research papers. I think it's getting close to a thousand links on the page. Might take time to load. We're thinking about how to nest it now. But if you're looking for the meat, the substance, if you really want to understand, I would encourage everybody to go to the Agrivoltaics Index and again, it's links to other places and you know, see for yourself who's doing this and what. I mentioned my favorite study about tomatoes and peppers in Arizona, doubling and tripling production, but you know, someone in France almost doubled eggplant production. They're improving wine quality in France. They're improving berry production. Shout out Baywa, one of the big European agribusinesses. You know, they're doing all kinds of berries and apples in Germany and Holland, improving production, you know, actual agricultural value add as well as the solar. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm actually looking at the index now. It's pretty impressive. I know you mentioned Dennis Rodman, how he happened to be at the hotel where the conference was. I know he asked to be a keynote speaker when we were talking to him. How likely do you think we could get Dennis to be there? I guess I'm working on it as well, right? So, uh, well, yeah, let's but try. Can you talk about that. that meeting with Dennis Rodman? That was pretty interesting, right? Yeah, it was great to see Dennis, a, you know, huge Bulls fan, very passionate guy, you know, very smart as people who've paid attention to Dennis know. I mean, he's a very thoughtful guy, cares about economics and energy and agriculture, actually grew up on a farm. He got so strong wrestling hogs and cattle down south. And as you know, Benoit, we talked to him. He was there the whole time at the Hilton and holding court of a different kind, sharing his <laughs> thoughts on solar. I don't know if he'll come back and give a keynote. I would love to get him in a fireside chat. Perhaps he could share, you know, some of his thoughts. But yeah, I think he, we were surprised that he had a lot of views about solar and agrovoltaics, renewable energy. He it was almost like he was giving the lecture to us. He was, which was pretty interesting. I was speechless. I mean, he's big, tall, intimidating, accomplished guy. I'm having a drink at the bar. I mean, who wanted to get an, a word in edgewise? Like, I wanted to hear what Dennis had to say. Oh, for sure. He provided great perspective. He was excited about the conference. He asked us whether he could be the keynote next year. We will try to work on having him come next year, you know, God willing. And he was a lot of fun to hang out with. I did karaoke with Dennis and had several drinks and he was just hilarious as well. And I went back and actually watched the last dance and the documentary of when he met John and 
I forgot how dominant of a player he was and how pivotal he was to those last three championships as a Chicago Bull. And yeah. mind you, I'm a Knicks fan. Some still. Oh, well, big <laughs> praise for the Bulls. And I mean, what those Bulls teams managed to achieve, you know, level of excellence, the kind of the different parts, you know, the incredible scorer, Michael, the incredible utility man, Scotty, the incredible rebounding defensive freak of nature, Dennis, and a lot of other specialty players put together by, you know, mastermind Phil Jackson. But Listen to Dennis talk about rebounding. I mean, he was watching tape before it was a thing, before it was easy to edit digitally. You know, he was learning the tendencies of other shooters. This guy is going to, his shot tends to be shortened to the left if you shoot it from this side and so on. And so not only was he lightning quick and super strong, guarded Shaq when needed, wrestling those pigs. I mean, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy, as they say. But he knew where the ball was going to be. And so, you know, appreciate that perspective. And I mean, Dennis also a patriot. I appreciate that, you know, going to North Korea, unofficial ambassador, <laughs> big Bulls <laughs> fans in North Korea. And I'm sure he was holding court there, you know, spreading the good news, being constructive as he was talking about feeding children and clean water and clean power in his very affable way. We need more Dennis in the world. Empower is the only one-day event to help you improve your solar business. Join industry leaders, policy experts, and solar professionals on August 16th to investigate the issues that matter to your solar business, like how to attach more storage to solar sales, the latest in solar financing, how to most efficiently generate leads, using tech to streamline workflows, how to understand federal and state incentives. Oh, sorry, just thinking about more of the issues that keep solar professionals up at night. The point is we're all dealing with a lot right now. So why make the time to check out Aurora's conference on August 16th? Well, here's a couple of reasons why I'm attending. It's free. I mean, that never hurts, right? It's virtual. You're not stuck at a conference center all day. You can tune into the sessions you want to and go on with your business. There are sessions that count for NABSEP continuing education credits. So you can knock that out at the same time. The content is really worthwhile. I know I'm going to learn something or get a different perspective that I could use in my business. And of course, you'll hear from me on a panel covering policy. So I hope you'll be there on August 16th. You could register at Aurora Solar slash Empower 2023. It'll also be in the notes of the podcast. Thank you. For sure. And you forgot to thank Jerry Krause, by the way. Did I? <laughs> you didn't say Jerry Krause. But... Oh, no, not a Krause hater. And I know Jerry's son a little bit through a friend of a friend. And, you know, they're still doing amazing things for the city of Chicago. For sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. And can you talk about like the origins of agrovotech? Like I've heard it started in Japan and Europe. I don't know how familiar you are with that. It was interesting because that podcast interview that I did with Ian and Drew, Drew was talking about how it originally started in Japan, like basically talk to farmers out there and developers to kind of incorporate what they were doing in Massachusetts. I don't know if you know, like the origin story of how it kind of came up or. Yeah, I think we've got to give credit to Fraunhofer Institute in Germany. Sure. There were a couple of gentlemen there in 1982 who really wrote the first you know, paper and kind of put the conceptual you know, in four corners on the page. And then Fraunhofer still innovating and driving. Japan, I would say, was the biggest early adopter. The, the production value is so obvious and agriculture, land is so scarce in Japan. You know, they're always looking for land-saving technologies, dual use, just they're already dual using. They have been for a thousand sure. years in Japan. And so I think the most agrivoltaic farms, several thousand are in Japan, but they're all very small, acre or less. Yeah, um, so that is pretty small. Yeah. 
But Europe has probably taken most seriously recently. Well, China, in their own way, they're building the largest agrivoltaics facilities in the world right now, many thousands of acres, going conservation, trying to beat back the desert. It's an anti-desertification strategy. You know, China's planted billions of trees that have died. So they're suffering the brunt of climate change. 80% of China is desert or semi-arid. So dust has been a big problem. They wear the masks that people have seen. It is the pollution, but it's mostly the dust in the Western provinces. But finally, here in the United States, you know, starting to catch on. You mentioned Blue Wave. There are a lot of specialty projects going in. Big sheep grazing. I think sheep grazing is taking off, depending on where you are. Definitely. Um, and then pollinators, obviously, are huge. You've been to the Virginia Solar Summit. They have the pollinator checklist. For sure. Light Source BP just did one of the biggest pro-pollinator projects in the United States down in Indiana, outside Indianapolis. Is it Bellflower? Check me on that. But yeah, finally going big. And you know, let's be frank, let's put it on industry cap and thinking it from a solar developer's perspective. We're having a lot more project rejection. You know, locals are pushing back against That's these true. big projects. They don't want it on ag land. They don't want it in their backyard. And there's stories about project failures, stormwater erosion. There was just a big judgment down in Georgia, nine-figure judgment. Big solar farm washed out a trophy property next door, 22-acre parcel with a little pond. Erosion, sediment destroyed that pond. And I think it was a $130 plus million judgment, 11 or $12 million in actual damages, but a federal jury you know, punished the developer and the, one of the companies, I think the engineering firm or otherwise. And so if we can not make compromises, if we can actually just de-untangle the land use conflict, if we can improve agricultural performance, if we can restore prairie under solar panels, <laughs> if we can end this era of kind of single use monoculture, even in solar, I think we'll get more community acceptance. There's more community benefits. We'll get more communities to buy in while we're creating jobs. You know, while we're allowing farmers to continue to work the land, we're probably, if we do it right, we won't have enough people in rural America to service all the jobs. And so those are a lot of the reasons why I think Agrivoltaic, you know, we had a sellout show at the Solar Farm Summit, and Agrivoltaics is really taking off people, even now Washington, in this very anti-cooperation situation we find ourselves. It's staggering in so many ways, but Agrivoltaics, to use a pun, is, is shining through this bipartisan storm and moving hearts and minds to action. And it's because it works. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting, too. Like, there's Drew and Ian were working on a pilot in New Jersey and other states for agrovoltaics. It's called dual use pilot. So, you know, we need the industry to go out there. And obviously you mentioned how the IRA has an incentive for agrovoltaics, but it's a continuous education that our industry has to do to educate people about the opportunity and then create legislation or incentives to help make those things happen. So, you know, I appreciate like going to other states after it being successful in Massachusetts and try to come up with specific state level incentives. Massachusetts, again, it's brownfields in the IRA, not quite agrivoltaics. Yet, oh, yes. That's but right. I would encourage everyone to call your senator, call your congressman and tell them to vote for the Agrivoltaics Research and Demonstration Act of 2023 and show up to these local meetings. But yeah, shout out Which Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. Before he was with Savion. 
But yeah, if you don't show up to the meetings, only the people who don't like projects show up to local meetings and every person counts because not enough people will show up. So not enough people vote, but shout out Massachusetts. Not only did they lead the way, break new ground in agrivoltaics, pun intent, all the puns are intended, um, <laughs> but on brownfields to brightfields too. They were the ones, they designed their SREC program with the brownfield adder and that put brownfields at the top of the site selection criteria. So a brownfield solar project was more likely to be approved in Massachusetts and this was 10 years ago, more. And what happened? Well, as long as the rules are clear, like a NBA basketball game, like if the ref calls it, whatever the rules are, the players adjust and we play. And then pretty soon we ran out of good landfills in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All the easy sure. landfills went boom like this. And then we had little towns like Amesbury, Massachusetts, who had two municipal landfills and they developed solar and sold 100% of the power. And believe me, little Amesbury could use those green dollars. They have. So really have to applaud, again, even though I'm a Midwest guy, got to applaud Massachusetts for really leading the way in the laboratory of states on solar. Here they go again, you know, with agrivoltaics and everybody is playing catch up, as you said. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because like the state of California is looking at what Massachusetts and New York have done and how to incorporate some of these incentives to incentivize further development of solar. So, you know, I think the other states can learn for them, the states from what legislation that they've done and what's been successful. And so, you know, I think that will obviously help the proliferation of solar and that that's huge going forward. And feeding and powering the world, by the way. <laughs> for sure. yeah, we're pushing a nine and 10 billion people. We don't have enough fresh water. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough clean energy. And agrivoltaics provides all these things. That's another great point. You know, this is like a competitive advantage for the United States, obviously, to do these type of things. You know, Dan actually does other stuff outside of this and, you know, does work for his different clients, analyzing, you know, different economies. And probably it's interesting for me to listen to this. But can you talk about like how you see the U.S. continuing to be a dominant power going forward. Or maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. I mean, there's always obviously anti-U.S. sentiment, but I, the perspective I look at it is like that we're still extremely dominant based on a lot of different factors. But I don't know if you want to go into that or that could be another podcast. <laughs> That's a very long conversation. But no, I think my forward view hasn't changed. You know, going back about 11 years now, around 2012, I was one of the early to make the call that there would be a North American resurgence. We had seen it kind of had bottomed. There was a big pivot, 2008 and nine, that period, the Great Recession proved to be the great pivot. We had a whole nother round of bipartisan policy that went in under the Obama administration. I mean, folks underestimate all the progress that's, everybody's hated the president, but there's been a lot of progress that's been made. Even going back to George Bush through the Iraq war, where there was a brownfield reauthorization bill, a little bit of infrastructure, Sarbanes-Oxley, other things. But under the Obama administration, we doubled oil production, brought on more natural gas than anyone could have dreamed. We don't think about Obama being the oil man, but we brought on more oil under Obama than any other time in world history, more than the Saudis in the 60s, the great oil bill. And that changed the entire geopolitical landscape. We're exporting oil now before President Trump, by the time President Trump came into office, the first time he went to Poland, about a month before, two weeks before, a U.S. liquefied natural gas LNG export ship went to Poland first. You know, we're selling a lot of natural gas to Europe for the first time. And Russia doesn't like that. That's their number one export. That was one of the structural shifts we saw. Probably don't have time to go into it now, but I've still maintained that view. America's always dying. The dollar's always about to explode. The debt is always about to kill us. <laughs> There's always a war. That pessimistic case 
is always seemingly more articulate, but it hasn't happened yet. I saw an S&P forecast going to 4,000 last week from a brokerage I mentioned on Wall Street. And we have everything we need to compete and win in a planet you know, with eight to nine billion people. Even with climate change coming on, we've got more fresh water. We're the largest agricultural exporter in the world. We only need 10 or 12 million acres for solar. We have 20 or 30 million acres of ag land that we could plant that we don't. We still are paying farmers not to farm. We have extensive conservation programs, so we could still be growing a lot more food. We're growing enough food right now, by the way, to feed about 15 billion people. 40%, 45% of our food goes to waste every year. So I don't have kind of an existential dread. And I have a very, the North American view is still in place. We have positive demographics. That's something that people don't talk a lot about. Oh, there there isn't point. a millennial generation in Europe. The Chinese one-child policy will prove to be one of the biggest mistakes ever in world history. They have the mother of all baby booms that's coming due right now. As their manufacturing economy is starting to flag, they have self-reported youth unemployment over 20% in China. And if we compare the two, the United States and China are very much inversely related. They are the largest agricultural importer. They're importing 80% of their energy. Thanks to Mr. Obama and the fracking revolution, we're energy independent, we're exporting. And we have the Mississippi River Valley. We have the best soil in the world. The largest arable landmass in the world is intersected by its largest inland waterway network. It's kind of not fair. The cheapest transit system, everything in China is very expensive. Uh, it's, it's rugged. It's broken up by mountains. Most everyone lives on the coast. They spend a lot on infrastructure. They have high-speed rail. They have a global infrastructure plan, Belt and Road. But they have to spend many, many trillions of dollars just to catch up what the United States has naturally. And so the very basic economics, or some folks might style me as an economic geographer, just sure. the, the very structure of the United States. We are a capital creation machine. The natural endowments, our natural asset base here in North America is just frankly unfair. Before we talk about freedom and the best <laughs> universities and all the software advantages, the hardware of America, it's really tough to beat. That's been the 400-year story of this continent. And we're kind of history rhymes and we got away from it. You know, the summer of 69, we kind of peaked OPEC formed. We had energy got <laughs> expensive. We had inflation. We lost our manufacturing facilities like China is now. And a long answer, but a lot of our weaknesses have become strengths again. Again, we're exporting energy as we once were. Now we have agrivoltaics <laughs> coming online, record profits on Wall Street. We just dipped under 10 million open jobs. We have twice as many open jobs as people looking for work in this country. And the Fed is trying to kill the economy with interest rates, but we keep going. <laughs> so there's a Mexican story that would surprise, I think, a lot of people. They're the ones maybe benefiting most from China's kind of manufacturing decline. They're running out of young people in Mexico. And of course, Canada, too, is still a very strong economy. So I, I still do have that fortress North America view, even as I think interest rates will hurt the global South more than it will the modern economy. And we've seen instability already. Food price inflation is real. Inflation is starting to come down, but not food. Still going the wrong way there. The war in Ukraine, they're blowing up grain ships again. They're blowing up silos. Russia backed out of the, the wheat export deal. Unfortunately, this is going to hurt our most sensitive places the most. I do fear. I'm very constructive. We've got hundreds of billions of dollars in chips facilities and solar facilities and EV facilities, and we're building all things. As I look around the world, I see many pockets of weakness. And unfortunately, I do expect more conflict, potentially some market shocks. I'm not just riding around on my unicorn, throwing rainbows everywhere. I try to be a realist and there's going to be a lot of growing pains as we move into kind of this new century for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's a great summary of a lot of different concepts. And the other thing too, as well, 
is obviously being a military power. You know, obviously we have strong allies in North America, being Canada and Mexico. We're pretty far from our enemies or our frenemies or whatever you want to call them. Our oceans are our best defense. Yeah. The founding fathers were talking about that, right? That's what Manifest Destiny was about. That's kind of crazy, right? That it still applies today, right? The Manifest Destiny and yeah. In European schools of thought, we're known as the Far Islands. Yeah. The near islands, that's like the UK. So if any power, this old theory going back hundreds of years, you know, if any power could control Asia, they could control the world. Uh, But no one's been able to do that in human history. But they think about it, the global geopolitical setup is kind of Asia, the near islands, and then the far islands. And we are the far island problem. (laughs) Again, it has a lot to do. We're not just an island. We have, it's a whole continent with a huge asset base. In that kind of way, we make it hard for any other power to emerge and kind of take total control of Asia. So it's very interesting times. I know it's hard to watch the news and war is a very scary thing, but you know, hopefully we'll have peace in Europe again. Russia will reboot. China will have an easier transition away from their past economic model to, to whatever comes next. Although you know, again, it's going to be, they're going through kind of a 70s, 80s, 90s all at once. <laughs> they had this growth miracle. But now they have a demographic collapse. They've been overcounting their population. Not only did they have the one-child policy, so we knew that they had a kind of a top-heavy demographic. But again, according to their own report, they may be overcounted by 100 million people. So China's peaked a lot sooner than we thought. There's a lot of problems out there, but, but a lot of growth. And hopefully we can be constructive and collaborative and do it all together. Although I don't know when the tariffs in, will come off. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of hot talk and Taiwan and Aber rattling. But as you know, Benoit, I've been very constructive on America, very unconstructive on China. But just in the last few weeks and months, I've seen, you know, hopefully breakthroughs. We've had Janet Yellen. We've had Secretary of State Blinken in China and having very high level talks about instead of decoupling, which is kind of the magic word to describe Chinese and American relations, maybe to more de-risking. Because after all, can we get away from each other? Probably not. The global economy is completely integrated. And despite the tariffs and the pandemic and Chinese struggles, we still had huge volumes of Chinese-American trade last year. I think a record. So I think decoupling was always maybe a fantasy. And there's been a thaw between the White House, Washington, and Beijing, common recognition that you know we're better together. And Russia, as an example, is not the way to go. <laughs> we don't have to fight it out. We can haggle it out. We can be business competition, but we don't have to play the old nation-state game. We're really you know, everyone loses. And particularly our young people, you know, Russia doesn't have the young people to waste. An example of a country that is already on the other side of demographic collapse. There's tens of millions of less Russians as there was a generation ago. And this is probably the last land war that they'll ever be able to man or human because Russia continues to shrink and shrinking is a problem when we're talking about economic growth. So it's funny to see kind of the UK and Russia kind of falling down in very the same year. When we think of Brexit, we think of maybe them shooting themselves in the foot. They're struggling with inflation the most. They've forced themselves into a lot of quick, sharp economic adjustment. They're suffering for that. And it's happening at the same time. And to see London and Moscow, these traditional empire nations, see them kind of taking another step down as the United States and now China take another step up, I think as a historian, it gives me kind of goosebumps. Yeah, for sure. That is really interesting. I know we could go on about this. It's been a great podcast interview. I appreciate you making the time. Dan, if our Mavericks or listeners want to learn more about you or the Virginia Solar Summit or Solar Farm Summit, can you tell us again 
what's the best way to do that. Yeah. Thanks, Bruno. I appreciate being on the podcast again. Always good chatting with you. I look forward to our next offline conversations and maybe sharing some drinks with Dennis. But yeah, you can find the information about the summer shindig in Richmond at virginiasolarsummit.com. You can plug into the agrivoltaics renaissance at North America's agrivoltaics expo, the solar farm summit at solarfarmsummit.com, including (laughs) that index, the agrivoltaics index that I mentioned, a great place to start learning with links to lots of primary materials. And then if you are interested in reaching out to me on my strategic work, I don't really take on new clients, but I'm always open for brainstorming and troubleshooting. That's dbforesites.com, dbforesites, F-O-R-E-S-I-T-E-S. So kind of play on sites, dbforesites.com, strategic work, a lot of capital allocation and real estate. And we'll have all this in the notes of the podcast as well. And just as well, the Virginia Solar Summit's coming up. It's in Richmond, August 31st. So definitely, it's a great event. I've been to pretty much all of them, actually, maybe. And the ones live in person and online during COVID. I'm going to try my best, Dan, to make it. Hopefully, I'll see you there. And then, obviously, at RE+. And, and then I'll be in, actually, Chicago as well in the fall time frame. So. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely be at the big show in Vegas. Looking forward to a massive RE plus and seeing tens of thousands (laughs) of our solar friends there. There'll be an unofficial agrivoltaics meetup. So if you are going to that show, which again, I highly recommend RE plus one of my favorite shows, like EPA's Brownfield show, just big, substantive, full of good vibes. We had a great time last year, Benoit and Anna. Looking forward to even a bigger show this year. I'll be there the whole week. And then we will, if you can't make it to the shindig, we will have a proper two-day Virginia Solar Summit Conference next spring, as we typically do in April, mm-hmm. again in Richmond, very beefy, very substantive solar and land use. And then, yeah, definitely check out next summer, Solar Farm Summit, second edition with some outdoor elements, come pet some sheep, <laughs> come cool yourself <laughs> in the shade, uh, see, feel for yourself the incredible superpower that solar shade really is. And yeah, I encourage everyone just to lean in and go forward, show up to those local meetings. We need you now. There's a lot of projects getting shot down. Talk to your congressman about agrivoltaics, about dual use, whether it's crops or critters, saving family farms with these dual rents, or whether it's saving the bees and butterflies. Solar can help pay for a lot of the things that we need right now with climate change coming on and this new energy transition. And it seems to be breaking out as a new bipartisan issue, like Brownfields before, which always sails through 99.0 in the Senate. Hopefully, if folks listen to this podcast, talk to your grandma about agrivoltaics. It's so simple. <laughs> Growing <laughs> things under the panels. It could be 10 degrees cooler under the solar shade. And with climate change coming on, we had a mini dust bowl in Illinois. They didn't get the plantings in, kicked up dust, killed people on I-55. You know, like 80 cars piled up, oh my flash God. drought. So maybe chopping up that will go small, even at a community scale. If you go get 25, 30 acres of restored prairie, you know, that's a real win for mother earth, for nature, beyond the electrons, beyond the economics. I think, you know, solar is how we, you know, power this new future, all puns intended. For sure. And that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Continue the great work leading the nerd army. You know, I found this to be very interesting, illuminating, and I've learned a lot. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Benoit. Keep up the good work, my friend. Your voice is important. The future is bright. Yes, the future is bright. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. 
That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U-Energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thanjan and Kevin Y. Brown. 